4,000 years ago, Job was wrestling with his friends and with his own soul. He was trying to figure out the deepest questions of his life regarding suffering. Where was God in his suffering? His wife and friends claimed that his suffering was a direct result of his own sin. And while Job did not claim perfection, he also knew that he was living faithfully to God. And as he's wrestling through these troubling questions, he pleads with his friends that, that he have someone who can go between him and God, an umpire, he calls it, who will be able to stand between himself and God. Someone who can evaluate Job's thoughts and actions and at the same time understand his human brain. And so he says in chapter 9, verse 33, there is no umpire between us who may lay his hand upon us both. And with this historical event, we're reminded that mankind on his own does not have authorization to come to God on their own accord. We can only come to God through his authorized mediator. Job understood this. Aaron and Moses understood this. And today we know that our mediator is Jesus Christ, according to 1 Timothy 2.5. But in the Old Testament, it wasn't that simple. They needed God to provide a person who would be able to speak on his behalf, that is, on God's behalf, and also who is able to speak on behalf of the people to God. And Aaron was called to be that authorized mediator for the people of Israel during their time in the wilderness. He was from the family of Levi, but... As with all of God's ordained leadership, his credentials and authorization is going to be called into question. And that's what we saw in chapter 16. The question that chapter 16 answered is, is Aaron authorized to approach God? Remember, Korah and Dathan and Abiram claimed that they were just as holy as Aaron. We're all God's holy people. So why do you think you're so special that only you can can enter into the presence of God? And in a sense, they were right. They all were holy people. They all were set apart for God's purposes. But that doesn't mean that they have the same security clearance, so to speak. Only Aaron's family could enter the tabernacle, and only Aaron himself could enter the most holy place. And so God answered the rebels' question, Is Aaron authorized to enter into God's presence? God answered their question by destroying 253 rejectors, defectors. The immediate response of the congregation we would expect would be humility and falling on God for grace, but instead they responded by blaming Moses and Aaron. They said that you too have caused these deaths. And so God burned with anger and sent a plague that killed 15,000 people. And God again proved that Aaron was the mediator. He was the proper authorized one who could come into his presence. And the proof of that was in Aaron being able to stop the plague from continuing by providing atonement for their sins. God knew that the deaths of the 253 rebel leaders and the deaths of the 14,700 skeptics was not a clear enough picture for the remaining congregation, and that's why we have chapters 17 and 18. Here, in these chapters, God's going to give further confirmation of His leaders. In chapter 17, He's going to give a visible confirmation that Aaron is His authorized mediator. And in chapter 18, he's going to give a verbal confirmation that Aaron is his authorized mediator. So I think it would be helpful for us to read through chapter 17 and then we'll cover both chapters when we 
when we get into the text. But let me just read chapter 17 for us, beginning in verse 1. This is the word of God. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel and get from them a rod for each father's household, twelve rods from all their leaders according to their father's households. You shall write each name on his rod and write Aaron's name on the rod of Levi, for there is one rod for the head of each of their father's households. You shall then deposit them in the tent of meeting in the front of the testimony where I meet with you. It will come about that the rod of the man whom I choose will sprout. Thus I will lessen from upon myself the grumblings of the sons of Israel who are grumbling against you. Moses therefore spoke to the sons of Israel, and all their leaders gave him a rod apiece for each leader according to their father's households, twelve rods, with the rod of Aaron among their rods. So Moses deposited the rods before the Lord in the tent of meeting. Now on the next day Moses went into the tent of, tes- of the testimony, and behold, the rod of Aaron for the house of Levi had sprouted and put forth buds and produced blossoms, and it bore ripe almonds. Moses then brought out all the rods from the presence of the Lord to all the sons of Israel, and they looked, and each man took his rod. But the Lord said to Moses, Put back the rod of Aaron before the testimony to be kept as a sign against the rebels, that you may put an end to their grumblings against me, so that they will not die. Thus Moses did, just as the Lord had commanded him, so he did. Then the sons of Israel spoke to Moses, saying, Behold, we perish, we are dying, we are all dying. Everyone who comes near, who comes near to the tabernacle of the Lord must die. Are we to perish completely? Here in chapters 17 and 18, we see that God confirms his leader and reminds the rest of his servants of their value. So if Aaron really is the authorized mediator who has the ability to come to God on behalf of the people, then what's, what good are the rest of us Levites? What value are we if we're not in his position? And God's going to answer that at the end of chapter 18. But first he wants to reaffirm or confirm his leader. He wants to affirm his leader, Aaron. He's already done this in killing the 253 people in chapter 16, showing that Aaron is the one, not they. Not anyone who just wants to just Determine that they're going to come into God's presence. Aaron saying no, or, or God saying no, Aaron is the one that I've chosen. And so in chapter 17, he gives further confirmation, here visible confirmation uh, by collecting some rods. So in verses 1 through 7, we see the purpose of the rod collection. God was not going to allow this continuing opposition to his appointed leader. He was going to make it clear who this leader was so they didn't have to be confused as they were wandering, wandering through the wilderness who their leader was. And so he has each of the leaders of the twelve tribes bring a staff to Moses. The staff was, um, was, was used for leadership. It was a symbol of leadership. Remember, Moses used his staff uh, when he changed water to blood in Egypt. He brought the frogs, the gnats, the hail, the locusts. He parted the Red Sea with his staff. He, he raised it for the battle, um, uh, to win the battle. He, he used it to, to bring water from the rock in Numbers chapter 20. And so th- this seems to be a symbol, not just something to lean on, but actually a symbol of leadership, of Moses' leadership over the people. So it seems that each of these 12 tribes have a leader and they, they each had a symbolic staff that showed that they were the leader. And they were supposed to bring these staffs to Moses. Moses was not counted among the twelve tribes. He's just simply the, the agent of this miracle that's about to happen. 
Moses wrote their names on each of the staffs in verse 12. And next, Moses gets Aaron's staff in verse 3. And he writes Aaron's name on it. So altogether we have the 12 tribes plus Aaron. Remember, Joseph received a double portion, so his second son makes up the the one that's left off from the Levite tribe. So the Levite tribe didn't have an inheritance. The Lord was their inheritance. We'll see that more as we go through Numbers. But, but, uh, but then you have the other 12 tribes, and now you only have 11. So then the, the, the 12th comes from Joseph's second son. So altogether we have 13 staffs that are brought into the most holy place. Notice verse 4. They're brought into the tent of meeting in front of the testimony, the Ark of the Covenant. And God's going to do something here overnight going to show the people that his appointed leader is Aaron and not any of these other men or their tribe. In verse 5, God promises to confirm his authorized leader by causing one of the rods to sprout. So it wasn't that he just sent the, the staffs in there and let's see what happens. He says, I'm, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. One of these rods is going to sprout and that's going to be my leader. I'm going to give you visible, visible confirmation. And notice the purpose of this revelation at the end of verse 5. Thus, I will lessen from upon myself the grumblings of the sons of Israel who are grumbling against you. So one of the reasons that God is visibly confirming who His leader is is so that He can cut the grumbling down from His people to Him and to Moses and Aaron. Like a parent who's just tired of the whining, comes up with some kind of rule to protect himself from just constantly hearing whining. And God's saying, listen, this is enough. I, I am trying to make clear to you, listen to me, who my leader is. And so God was going to make it clear. And in the process, he would stop their complaining about who it was that was going to lead them through Israel, who was that was going to be the authorized mediator to come into his presence. Well, the re- result is... Uh, exactly what we'd expect, that God takes the dead staff of Aaron, this old, dry, uh, not rotted, but this dry piece of wood, and he makes it sprout and blossom and bear almonds in verse 8. And Moses showed the leaders all the rods and he gave them each their rod back. And when they were all convinced that Aaron indeed was God's choice of authorized mediator, then God, in verse 10, does something with Aaron's rod. Notice, Verse 10, put back the rod of Aaron before the testimony to be kept as a sign, a memorial against the rebels that you may put an end to their grumblings against me. So it's not that we're just going to have this one event and then you'll just have to remember it. He's saying, I'm going to make a memorial out of this event so that there's going to be grumblings down the road against you as leader, Aaron, as you as authorized mediator. And so when that happens, bring this staff back out and show them. See this budding and blossoming full of almond staff. This is my staff. This is the staff that God gave me, showing you that I am the appointed mediator. Notice the people's response to this new revelation in verse 12. At the end of the verse reads, Behold, we perish. We are dying. We are all dying. In the middle of verse 13, uh, we'll just read the whole thing. Everyone who comes near, who comes near to the tabernacle of the Lord must die. Are we to perish completely? See, they still didn't get it. It wasn't that they were going to die when they came into His presence. It it was that they were going to be spared from death. Notice the mercy of God at the end of verse 10. 
He says, at the beginning of the verse, it says, Put back the rod of Aaron before the testimony to be kept as a sign against the rebels, so that you may put an end to their grumblings against me, so that they will not die. This is set up for you as a memorial so that you don't die. And their response is, we're going to die. God was actually protecting them from being destroyed by setting up a proper person, a a go-between, an umpire, who could go between them and Him. The point is that God has put a system in place for protecting the people and keeping the uncleanness and authorized people out of His presence. It was the system of the priests and the Levites. And this is what chapter 18 is about. So God gives visible confirmation in chapter 17 and then at the beginning of the beginning of chapter 18 he gives verbal confirmation. Verbal confirmation. Let me begin reading in verse 1. So the Lord said to Aaron, You and your sons and your father's household with you shall bear the guilt in connection with the sanctuary, and you and your sons with you shall bear the guilt in connection with your priesthood. But bring with you also your brothers, the tribe of Levi, the tribe of your father, that they may be joined with you and serve you, while you and your sons with you are before the tent of the testimony. And they shall thus attend to your obligation and the obligation of the tent. But they shall not come near to the furnishings of the sanctuary and the altar, or both they and you will die. They shall be joined with you and attend to the obligations of the tent of meeting for all the service of the tent. But an outsider may not come near you. So you shall attend to the obligations of of the sanctuary and the obligations of the altar so that there will no longer be wrath on the sons of Israel. Behold, I myself have taken you, fellow Levites, from among the sons of Israel. They are a gift to you, that is, Levites, dedicated to the Lord to perform the service for the tent of the meeting. But you and your sons with you shall attend to your priesthood for everything concerning the altar and inside the veil, and you are to perform service. I'm giving you the priesthood as a bestowed service, but the outsider who comes near shall be put to death. So after God gives visible confirmation... He has this great miracle of destroying these people who opposed him in chapter 16. Then he, he makes Aaron's rod bud. The people are still struggling with what God wants for coming into his presence. And so God gives further confirmation that Aaron is his appointed priest. And he also reminds Aaron of the value of the Levites. In verses 1, 5, and 7, we see the role of Aaron's family. It is to mediate between the people and God. To Verse 5 says to to be a priest for them, to be priests for the nations. And then the role of the Levites is seen in verses 2, 3, 4, and 6. The Levites have the responsibility to assist Aaron in their, this, this care. Aaron was to be able to come before God and speak on behalf of the people and offer sacrifices for the people. And the Levites are supposed to come alongside of him and assist him in this process. And this section is about setting up a perimeter around the tabernacle. Aaron's family cared for the inside of the tabernacle. The Levites could not go in there except for when the items were covered and they would take those things out. But they had a responsibility to protect the outside of the tabernacle so that any of the other tribes would not come in and be destroyed. So the family of Levi as a whole, more than just Aaron's family, but all the family of Levi were guards of the tabernacle. They were camped, remember the picture, that they were camped along the outside of the perimeter of the tabernacle with Aaron and his family to the east side where the opening of the tabernacle was. The other families 
<coughs> to the north and south and west. They, they serve as kind of a barrier between the tabernacle where God's presence was and the rest of the people, don't they? And notice how serious that God is about those who come into the tabernacle unauthorized. Verse 3. But they shall not come near to the furnishings of the sanctuary, the middle of the verse says, or both they and you will die. Verse 4, the last part of the verse says, but an outsider may not come near you. The end of verse 5 says, so that there will no longer be wrath on the sons of Israel. The end of verse 7 says, I am giving you the priesthood as a bestowed service, but the outsider who comes near shall be put to death. See, it wasn't that they were going to die. As long as they stayed within the bounds of what God expected of them, they were not going to die. God was protecting them from needless death like they had just seen a few days earlier with Korah and Dathan Dathan and Abiram. So, had this verbal confirmation, the visible confirmation in chapter 17, the verbal confirmation at the beginning of chapter 18, and then chapter 18 concludes with God reminding the rest of His servants of their value. (coughs) Excuse me. If if Aaron is the appointed leader, then what value really do the Levites have? If, If Aaron is the appointed mediator, then what good are the rest of the Levites? Korah had convinced these people that that priestly work was the most important thing and that anything else was of no value. And so if you can't have the priestly work, then then it'd be better to die, effectively. And the remainder of chapter 18 is a record of God speaking to Aaron so that he can inform the Levites of their value. And the fact is that just because a person is not the primary leader, the primary mediator, doesn't mean that they have no value in God's program. And that's what we see here at the end of the chapter. Uh, I skipped over chapter 18, verses 8 through 20. There, uh, let me just briefly summarize that before we get into verse 21. That God provides for them by giving them income. He reminds Aaron of how he'll provide for his family through the offerings and tithes of the people. And part of the offerings that God shared, remember, God shared with the worshiper in the fellowship and the peace offering. But there were some offerings that only could be eaten by Aaron's family. So the burnt offering was wholly burnt up before God and the remains were taken outside the camp. But the sin and the guilt offering, the cereal offering, not eaten by the individual worshiper, but eaten by Aaron's family, the priests. This was one of the ways that God provided for them. But the priests um, also had this income that came in from the people through through the tithes and the offerings of the people. God would provide for Aaron's family by giving them the firstborn of the rest of Israel. Remember the firstborn animal. The firstborn son belonged to Aaron's family. So God is providing for they who have no inheritance in the land. Look at verse 20. I'll show you this briefly and then we'll move on. Then the Lord said to Aaron, You shall have no inheritance in their land nor any portion among them. I am your portion and your inheritance among the sons of Israel. So God gives verbal, visible and verbal confirmation, and then he also provides a means by which they can continue to live. And then he reminds the rest of his servants of their value. In verses 21 to 24, God provides for the Levites that the income that they would receive would be from the tithes of the people. 
But with this great privilege comes great responsibility. Verse 22 says, The sons of Israel shall not come near the tent of meeting again, or they will bear sin and die. Only the Levites shall perform the service of the tent of meeting, and they shall bear their iniquity, the iniquity of the people. It shall be a perpetual statute throughout your generations, and among the sons of Israel they shall have no inheritance. So here God has established the Levites for the purpose of helping, supporting Aaron, the chief high priest, the chief mediator, and for helping to protect the people from death. Because this was their job. This was what they were made to do. This is why they were born into that family. Help protect the people and to help um, guard the worship of God. In verses 25-32, to we see the tithe of the tithe. So the Levites apparently receive the tithe from the people as a whole. They have it. But then they're supposed to take some of their offerings that they've received and give of that offering. They were not to keep it all for themselves. They also had to give some to the Lord. And the means or the, the, the person, the, the, the final recipient of those tithes were Aaron. You know, Aaron would receive a tithe of a tithe and his family would be cared for in that way. Notice Again, God's seriousness and His merciful protection in verse 32. You will bear no sin by reason of it when you have offered the best of it, but you shall not profane the sacred gifts of the sons of Israel or you you will die. So they had a responsibility, the Levites. It was not an unimportant um, task. As if, you know what, Aaron's the only one in all of Israel who's doing something important. Everybody else, their tasks don't really matter. No, they all had an important task to fulfill. God was using each one of them to help uh, supply for and to care for the worship of Himself and and the following of God. So their job, the Levites, was to see value in their work and to use their resources according to God's terms. And if they did, they would live and prosper. So let me give you uh, three principles here. I'm going to start with two secondary principles principles, that is, they, they don't focus on the main part of the text, but I think we can draw them from the text, and then we'll finish with a third principle, which I think is the main principle um, that we ought to draw from this text. The first, God confirms His leader over His people. I think we can draw some implications from the text regarding God's confirmation of His leader, that God doesn't want us to be going around confused about who His appointed leader is, and so for our church, I think we have a clear process. I'm not your mediator between God and you. But but as far as a leader that has been placed over you by virtue of your vote and by virtue of the Spirit's leading you to make that vote, then then um, then I, I am the confirmed leader of this pastor at this time. But but God's given us a clear process by which we can confirm a leader. We don't have to be confused about what who who's standing up in front of us and going to lead us. To God, there there should be no confusion because God has set up a, a proper process for us to be able to determine who that is and to be able to remove a person like me um, or me, I should say, uh, whenever I am turning you away from God. Second principle that we see we can draw from the passage is that God uses non-leaders in His program to advance His work. So. God does confirm His leader and helps us not to be confused, but He also helps each one of us to see our value within His work. And this is the problem of the Levites. They were confused and frustrated that they weren't in the position of Aaron. 
And what they needed to see was that God used them and needed them and, and wanted them to work to provide for the needs of Aaron's family and all of the people of Israel. And what they needed to do was to recognize their role. That each person in the family of Levi had a privilege and a responsibility. And I think the same goes for us, that each one of you has a privilege and a responsibility within the work of God. And your job is to find out where you are in God's program and to happily accept your role and to seek to be faithful to God where you are. Now, don't get me wrong. There's no, there's no sin in aspiring to be a leader. But if God has not made your spiritual gifts clear to yourself or to other people, or I should say, and to other people, then we should happily use our current influence where we are now. So we can't force ourselves into a position of leadership. You recognize that? When it comes to God's family, when it comes to God's church, we can't force ourselves into that position. Instead, we, we expect God to do the work. Now, again, let's, let's take where I am right now as leader of this church. Okay? I can't force myself into this position. I can desire the office of an overseer, which is a good thing to do, and I did. And I can pursue training in this area so that I can adequately teach sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it, which I did. But even if I did all of that, I had the desire and I had the training, that doesn't guarantee that I'm going to be in the position of leader or pastor of this church, right? There has to be something else involved, right? You have to recognize my gifts my abilities, my qualifications, that I meet the qualifications, right? Same thing is true with the deacons. There have to be gifts and qualifications that are recognized before a person... You can't self-appoint a deacon, right? We we can't self-appoint. All of a sudden, I want to be a deacon. I'm going to be it. Starting next Sunday, I'm a deacon. Okay, We, We can't do that. Instead, we recognize that God actually works through the rest of His people to help see some of those gifts some of those qualifications, all of those qualifications, and then affirm them. And if those things are not affirmed, then we simply are happily accepting our role where we are at and seeking to use the influence that we currently have. And that may sound cold and callous and and like, uh, but again, this is the Levites' problem, right? They don't like the position that they have. They they don't want to just carry things around that are covered. They want to actually take part in the sacrifice. They want to actually be the ones who are making the, the, the sacrifice on the altar. God's saying, just recognize your privilege where you're at. I have a purpose for you. And so, I, I think in the church, we again, we are not Israel. Our offerings and leaders do not perfectly correlate with the Old Testament. There, but there is a principle that we cannot ignore, and that is that, that we must be faithful in, in how we help provide for the Lord's ministers, how we recognize our own role within the church. And I think these two principles, while not the main theme, they actually point to the main theme of the text. I think the main theme is the the larger point of chapters 16 through 18, and that is this, that we need a God-appointed priest. We need someone to stand in the gap between us and God. We need someone to be our umpire. Someone who Job longed for to speak on behalf of him and to speak on behalf of God. Someone who is of our human race 
Someone who is also divine. And there's only one that can adequately do that. Aaron was a good temporal mediator between the people and God. But he was not completely adequate because he was imperfect. And even if he were perfect, he eventually died. Right? Even if he didn't sin against the people in any way, he died. He could not live forever. And every high priest from his line followed in his footsteps. Every one of Aaron's sons and grandsons and ancestors were, or, or, or I should say descendants, were just like Aaron. They were plagued with sin. They needed atonement themselves. Not just when they came to the, to the temple that they had to, the tabernacle, that they had to bring an offering for the other people. They had to bring an offering for themselves. And just like Aaron, none of his sons were permanent. Every high priest from the line of Levi died. And that's why we need a God-appointed priest from the order of Melchizedek. Not from the line of Levi, but from the order of Melchizedek. One who came from the line of David. One who was both a, high, was both a king and a priest both man and God. One who can sympathize with our weaknesses, but he can also speak on behalf of God the Father. And that person was sent from heaven. He is the uncreated Son of God who was the agent of creation. He's the one who continually sustains all that exists. He was born as a man so that he could bear our sorrows and become acquainted with grief. He was stricken of God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. And by his stripes we were healed. His name is Jesus. He's both God and man. He is the umpire that Job desired. He is the fulfillment of the typology of the Old Testament high priest. He perfectly satisfies what the office of the priesthood was designed to do. So praise God for our merciful and faithful high priest. He is the only way to God. He is your God-appointed priest. Have you submitted yourself to God's appointed mediator? Or have you tried to come to God on your own terms? Because we can learn from, from this story and, and, and draw some implications that, that God will not accept unauthorized access to His throne, will He? If you want to be part of God's family, if you want to be God's servant, if you want to enjoy God's blessings, and presence for now and forevermore, then you must come to His authorized mediator, Jesus the Christ. 1 John 4.9, the Apostle John says, By this the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him. Later on in chapter 5, verse 11, he says, And the witness is this, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. And then in his second letter, in, in chapter 1, verse 9, he says, Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. The one who abides in his teaching, he has both the Father and the Son. And that's consistent with what Jesus said about himself. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. I am the appointed mediator. I am the authorized high priest that will bring you to God, and you can only come through me, Jesus said. Friends, there is only, there's only one way to God. He is the door, the way, the gate, 
to the sheepfold, he is Jesus. And God has mercifully provided a way for us to come to him so that we will not die. So that we will not experience eternal death. Because of our sin, we deserve his wrath and will experience the full measure of it. But Jesus came to take that wrath. Move that cloud from over your head. Cover cover you up and atone for your sin. And we can avoid sure and certain condemnation when we come to God on His terms through His Son, Jesus Christ. If you have not done that, if you have not made that decision, then let me encourage you to stop resisting the call of the Lord. Today, if you hear the voice of God through the message of His Word, then please don't harden your hearts once again. Accept the merciful offer of salvation. It is the only way. We are confident on the basis of what God has said that all who believe in Jesus, that He died for their sins and rose from the dead, and that He lives in heaven and is coming again, will be saved. Would you believe today if you haven't already? Father, we are thankful for our merciful and faithful High Priest who loved us and gave Himself for us. Lord, He deserved nothing but Your um, presence and Your glory and to receive honor from all creation, but we did not give it to Him. We rejected Him, spurned Your Son and Your King, and so He was willing to come and be the perfect representative of you and offer himself for our sins. And it was because of his wounds that we are healed. We praise you for that. We pray that our lives would be a reflection of that. Lord, certainly there are uh, just a number of believers here today who want to give their lives and to, to, um, to own up to their responsibility to serve you with all that they have and be reminded of what a great Savior that we have. So would you encourage them today? And perhaps there are a few here who don't know Christ and who have resisted the call of salvation and who have not chosen to bow the knee. Would you would you um, convict them of their sin through the power of your word and Holy Spirit? Would you strengthen them to obey, to, to see the value of turning to Jesus Christ and to leaving the sin and the world behind. Lord, you can take everything from us, but as long as we have Jesus, we will be happy. And so, Lord, help us to cling to him more today than ever before and reflect on your great mercy and praise you because of your grace. In Jesus' name.